1: I'll be buried down. You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes! Yes!
2: Yes, it's me! It's me! Look, I got a haircut. Finally. Keep clapping. Clap because you can see my face now. How would we know that you could see my face if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you for taking a break from your social distancing and or protesting of social distancing today to join me here, Spike Cohen, on My Fellow Americans. I promise not to touch you or even come within six feet of you. That is my solemn promise to you on this Wednesday, the 13th of May. We've got a great show for you tonight. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, Twitch. We're on Twitch now. Not 100% sure what that means, but we are on Twitch. Check us out on all of the major podcasting platforms if you wish to simply listen to this because looking at me is just too much. I totally get it. Be sure to do that. Check us out. Be sure to like us, follow us, five star us, hit the bell. If there is a bell on whatever platform you are watching or listening to this, be sure to hit the bell if applicable. And share this right now, this very second, the last thing that I want you and your loved ones to have to do is miss out on a roughly hour-long Libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening or whenever you're sharing this. So be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Dad Bod Calendar, featuring some of the sexiest Libertarian men to ever be both Libertarian and sexy and male At the same time, including this sexy, sexy beast right here, you may know him, his name is Spike Cohen, be sure to check him out today, LibertarianDadBod.com, that is only $12, including shipping there, that includes shipping, that is an insane deal, this episode is also, LibertarianDadBod.com, this episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing caucus in the Libertarian Party that is related to waffles and houses, which in fact have waffles inside of them. And of course, this episode is brought to you by the Vermin Spike 2020 campaign featuring Vermin Supreme, Spike Cohen, and the and the Badger. Uh, be sure to go to verminsupreme2020.com to find out how you can help Be a part of Team Supreme. This episode, of course, is brought to you by one of our only actual paid sponsors, Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, who promises that if you are ever in the Tampa Bay area of Florida and are looking and have been personally injured in any way uh, that you think requires some kind of monetary recompense, uh, be sure to get in contact with Chris Reynolds right here. This really doesn't do anything to help. This is just a picture of his face. If you see someone that looks like this, be sure to reach out to him or a more efficient way may be to go to ChrisReynoldsLaw.com and find out more. Um, and yes, what else do we have here? Oh, the intro and outro music is brought to you on this episode of of My Fellow Americans is brought to you by the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Go to his Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's going to be one of the greatest investment decisions you've ever made in your entire life. Thank you, Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for my delicious ultra-pure drinking water right here. See that? Ultra-pure drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode, this it's also oxygenated with ozone. It is BPA-free, non-carbonated, and kosher, and made in America, just like me, Bula Vinaka. I've also got some orange juice here. Very rare thing for the show, not just water. I've also got orange juice that I'm drinking. Be sure to drink some orange juice today for your vitamin C, also Bula Vinaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him, as always. Let's get to it. You know why we're here. I'm running for the Libertarian Party nomination to be your next vice president of the United States of America. And so I am here, your humble, possible Libertarian nominee for VP of the USA, V. POTUS, to answer any questions you may have and to share some updates from this past week about the campaign. I'm also going to do something incredibly brave, which is I'm going to share our phone number, which is probably a good idea. We're about to find out together if that was a good idea. Uh, But this is the phone number here. I probably should go ahead and set that up so I can take phone calls if they, in fact, come in. And now I can. So that's good. So... Be sure to call in if you have any questions. You're also always free to ask questions in the comments, and I will be happy to answer them. And let me go through and see what we have here for questions. And got a lot of comments. First comment, first question, when is the show supposed to start? Right now, this very second. This was actually supposed to start about 10 minutes ago, but it's starting now. Um, da, 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 da. Brian McDonald says, I don't know what you guys think, but I believe that the libertarian dad should definitely be in the libertarian, libertarian dad calendar. Just a little food for thought. I am not in charge of the libertarian dad bot calendar. Yep, I already have calls. Here we go. This is going to be good. So from a 603, so, um, okay, si- oh. Yeah, well, I am, in fact, answering it. There we go. 603 area code. Thanks for calling in. Who's this?
3: Hi, Spike. This is uh, Richard Manzo. I'm a delegate from New Hampshire and the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire vice chair. How are you doing tonight? I'm
2: doing well, Richard Manzo, vice chair of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, as well as a delegate representing the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. How can I help you?
3: Well, I'm calling in today uh, to... Update your viewers on a legal matter. uh Uh, The Libertarian Party of New Hampshire will be suing the state of New Hampshire uh, in regards to ballot access relief. Uh, We sent in a request. We've been ignored uh, in essence, and we will be moving forward with a suit. And my question to you, Mr. Cohen, Mm -hmm. is do you pledge as vice presidential nominee to support all of our down-ballot legal matters with your time, your effort, and your bully pulpit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question. I really appreciate it. And absolutely, I think that one of the most important things that we can be letting people know is that one of the reasons that they often don't have... Effective third choices besides the Republicrats is because the Republicrats do everything they can to shut them out. And I think that once we are sharing ideas with them, we obviously need to be explaining that. we have an incredibly difficult time, uh, depending on the different states. Uh, each state is uh, you know, different in terms of its uh, difficult level, difficulty level, but uh, many are incredibly difficult uh, to actually even get on the ballot in the first place, unless, of course, you are a Republican or Democrat, in which case you just get nominated and you're automatically on the ballot. Um, so yes, I would absolutely use my bully pulpit to promote the fact that we need to get on the ballot, especially right now in light of the uh, restrictions. So for those who don't understand what's going on here... In most states, you need to meet a certain threshold of uh, petitions signed to get you on the ballot. And of course, in order to be able to do that, especially in the states that require thousands or tens or even hundreds of thousands of uh, votes uh, or, or petitions signed, you have to be going to big events. You have to be knocking on doors. You have to really work hard to get enough signatures. Uh, especially since, if the threshold is, let's say, ten thousand signatures, you really need to get twenty thousand signatures because the Republicans that are in charge of the board of elections are going to do everything they can to disqualify as many of your signatures as possible. That the signature wasn't legible. That they didn't sign it right. That they had also signed another petition. There are all sorts of things that they'll try to do to try to get it knocked out and 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 ruled ineligible. And so, so that is a very important thing that, you know, and, and of course, of course, right now with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the, the lockdown orders and everything else, it is functionally impossible to get a large number of signatures because there are no major events you can go to to try to get them. You can't even really go into any major areas where a lot of people are, uh, you know, um, uh, grouping together because it's not happening. People aren't grouping together; they are intentionally staying as far away from each other as possible. And of course, you know, you can't knock on doors uh, if that's even legal in the state that you're doing it in because no one wants to answer their door and sign something that a bunch of other people have also already touched. Uh, so it presents a lot of challenges. So yes, absolutely, I will 100% pledge uh, and 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 have been very open about the fact that I am very uh, upfront about the fact that I. I will be actively promoting uh, any uh, party, any state affiliate, anyone uh, who is trying to uh, in the Libertarian Party who is trying to get on the ballot. Um, So thank you so much for your question, uh, Richard.
3: And thank you for having me, Spike.
2: Thank you. And let's see. Here's the next call. Area code 214. Who am I speaking with? Hello, area code 214. Hey, thanks for calling. I don't know how to hang that up. Hmm. So, well, thank you for that call. Area code 214, if you're trying to call in again, I will try to answer it sooner. Um, And so, let's go through the messages here. This is the fun part, folks, of having a live show that you produce and host yourself, um, you get to do everything all at the same time live while everyone's watching. Yes. 512 area code. 512 area code. Uh, who am I speaking with?
1: Hey, Spike, this is Rohan Desai.
2: Hi, Rohan. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. Doing well, sir. Glad to see you on the show. Uh, just a quick question. Sure. I've, I've been reading a lot of uh, libertarians and Large L and small L libertarians posting about incremental change and how we as libertarians need to be careful of the optics of how we engage in activism. What's your take on that?
2: Thank you. That's an excellent question. So obviously, as libertarians, we want our end goal, or at least for most of us, is is a... much more voluntary society, something that is drastically different than what we face now, which is a very top-down, centrally planned society that is becoming ever increasingly more centrally planned, more centralized, more authoritarian. We seek a move towards the opposite. The reality is that we can't simply snap our fingers and make all of that happen. So of course, there is going to have to be some, uh, for lack of a better word, incremental changes. That Things are going to happen over time. I think where a lot of libertarians get confused... Uh, Or disheartened is in the idea that our incrementalism should start in our messaging, that not only should we be pushing for changes to be incremental, but that we should be incremental in how much of our idea we even share with people in the first place. And so, a lot of people believe that if, for example, we share our full platform and our full beliefs of of what our uh, preferred society would look like and what our solutions and our our platform applied to this country and this world would look like, that it's going to scare people because they've never heard of of anything as uh, as they would consider it extreme as or radical as what our ideas are. Uh, I believe just the opposite. I believe that the vast majority of people are. Uh, totally under, uh, they completely innately understand that something is wrong that this way has failed them uh, especially younger people people in marginalized communities but really everyone at this point especially right now with this pandemic and this lockdown the vast majority of people understand intuitively and innately that something is wrong that this is not working that we're not safe that we're not secure that we're not prosperous that we are you know holding on by a thread and even though we're getting constant input from corporate media from the government from the people that claim to be in charge over us that everything's fine, everything's under control, just listen to everything they have to say and obey and comply and everything will be fine. I think the vast majority of people understand inherently that that's not true. And no one's really telling them that it isn't true. No one uh, that's providing a political alternative to the Republicans and Democrats is telling them that that's not true. So I believe that we should be upfront and bold. And yes, we should be empathetic about the messaging. We shouldn't, you know, go into you know people's spaces and kick things over and scream "taxation is theft" and then run out the win- run out the door. We we need to be understanding of what people's concerns are, but we need to and we need to present ourselves as trustworthy and and uh, uh, reliable and understanding. People, we need to be empathetic and listen to their concerns, and then we need to propose our solutions after listening to their concerns. Explain why the state and why the republicrats have failed them, and then explain why our, uh, our our beliefs and our solutions are the way forward. Why they will work uh, in contrast to the government and the and the and the republicans and democrats who have failed them. Why our ideas are better and why they would work. Um, The alternative is to continue to present ourselves as some kind of half measure, different or better than the current options of the Republicans and Democrats. And the problem is when you do that, any any third party candidacy is an invitation to voters to vote for a candidate and a party that statistically is likely to lose. And so given that backdrop, when we present ourselves as kind of like the Republicans and kind of like the Democrats, but better. And, you know, our solutions are similar, but not scary, but better, just a little bit better. And they don't really listen to you, but we do. What you are presenting voters with are two options. The first option are the Republicans and Democrats, who are not really representing them and not really doing what they said they would do, but they're also likely to win. And the second option is this new party, the Libertarian Party, that represents them somewhat more and does seem to be listening to them more and does seem like, you know, like they might be pretty good, Uh, but they also are very likely not to win. They are almost assured not to win. Given those options, we see what happens. The vast majority of voters vote Republican and Democrat. We get 1%, we get 2%, we get maybe 3% or even 4%. And in some local and regional elections, we might actually win some or we may, may, you know, get, uh, you know, in second place or we may get a, a large, you know, vote. On the national level and the statewide level, it hasn't worked yet. The Libertarian Party has existed for 49 years and has not won a single federal or statewide election. No president, no vice president, no Senate, no U.S. Congress, no governor, no attorney general, none of that. In order to do that, we have to drop the idea that our ideas should be presented incrementally and that our ideas should be presented moderately. We have to present ourselves boldly, unapologetically, apply them to people's lives to, as solutions. And then when we do that, we will disabuse them of the notion that they should even be considering the Republicans or the Democrats. I'm all for incremental change. Incremental change will come when we've made enough of an impact on the culture and changed the cultural conversation enough so that we start winning some big elections and even more smaller elections so that now we have a seat at the table and now the people that have been in charge... Can, will have to negotiate with us because now we 're at the table, then we can secure real incremental real noticeable incremental change that's never going to happen if we continue to present ourselves in a scared pool, unsure that our ideas are sellable to the public kind of uh, kind of presentation. you know people can sense if you're if you're being upfront about what you believe or not and if you're if you're constantly having to uh you know water down or make milk toast your ideas. It starts to look like maybe you don't believe in your ideas enough to present them. And from a negotiation standpoint, if we look at politics as a negotiation, you never start a negotiation by moving half or most of the way towards what your the person that you're uh, that you're negotiating with wants. You start with what you want, and then you build up enough uh, uh, clout and 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 cred and bona fides to be able to actually have them negotiate with you. We're not in a position to negotiate right now. We're in a position to present who we are, to grow our reach, to affect things on a cultural level so that we can get positions in government and then see the incremental, you know, progressive changes towards a more voluntary society that we, that we want. Um, I hope that answers your question.
1: Uh, It absolutely does. In fact, that is probably one of the most articulate defenses of our messaging and one of the most articulate, arguments I've heard against the incremental messaging crowd. So thank you so much for that. I I mean, honestly, that was, you know, someone had pointed it out earlier to me that any politician can talk for five minutes in in an interview, but for you to talk at length about our ideas with such excitement and such articulation is honestly what has me really excited about being a libertarian.
2: Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great evening.
1: You too. Bye. All right, boy.
2: So yeah, I I am a strong believer that, you know, we have to be realistic. We are not going to get elected and then government simply goes away or becomes tiny and we've won for liberty and we're now all libertarians. That's not how it works. The way it works is you get into positions of power by first influencing the culture, getting enough people on your side, not just voting for you, but on your side for your ideas so that you and your ideas can win, and then when that happens, now you have a seat at the table. Here we go. We got calls after calls. Okay, seven four zero area code. Who am I speaking with? Yeah, there we go. Well, thanks for calling. Um, so yeah, so I mean, once we get a once we get a uh, a seat at the table, we can actually start seeing that actual incremental change. Um, And and we try to get it as rapidly as we can. You know, we don't have to take little tiny measure changes if we don't have to. But ultimately, we're not going to get anything to take until we get a seat at the table. And we're not going to get a seat at the table until we have affected the culture and presented our beliefs, libertarian beliefs, as the as a not only a viable alternative, but a distinct and, and really the only viable alternative to the republicrats we have to create a narrative the republicrats have created this problem the reason they've created this problem is because they have doubled down on the what we call the cult of the omnipotent state the idea that that things should be centrally planned uh in in a a governmental statist system and that everything will be fine if we just put the the right people in charge and have them control things from the top and we'll all be okay we need to challenge that here we go um 509 area code. Who is Who am I speaking with?
4: This is the laser legend.
2: The laser legend himself, Matt Hicks. Matt Hicks, how in the hell are you?
4: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing great. I've got a, I've got a show on the internet, and I'm running for vice president. I, I, it's I amazing it. stuff. Did you hear? I'm running for vice president uh, under the Libertarian Party.
4: Hopefully. You know, I also heard about that. And what's crazy, what's, what's crazy is, check this out, blew my mind. Um, confirm for me this rumor that I heard, if you could, um, I heard that you were endorsed by both the Mises caucus and the radical caucus.
2: Did you hear
4: that? <clears throat> I did. I did. Um, I'm not sure how true it is. That's why I wanted to come to you with it.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because I was actually going to, uh, in between breaks of, of, of the phone calls that have been coming in, I was going to talk about that. So if you want to stick around, I'm going to be telling the crowd exactly about that.
4: Oh, yeah, you know, I'm definitely going to stick around. But I did I did actually have a question for you. Oh, okay, go ahead. And this is a question I don't already know the answer to. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party,
5: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, I, I'm just assuming it's going to happen because I believe in you that much. Oh, but wow, as the you. vice presidential nominee, will you commit right now to appearing in the next Libertarian Bod calendar preferably in a tandem photo shoot with your presidential candidate.
2: Yes, of course. Absolutely. Oh, yes.
4: God, I love you. I love you yes, so much. Yes,
2: and I will be so sexy. I am working. If you thought I was sexy in the last one, I've been working on my core. I'm going to have a great tan. I was in. I had to be in Canada for a long period of time last year because of some uh, – had to be up there to deal with some stuff with, uh, with our home there. But uh, my plan this year is to be a lot closer to the equator – namely America, campaigning right, for, right, right. For, uh, for our ticket. And uh, I'm definitely going to be tanning as I do that because tanning is one of the most effective ways I can bring people into this movement and this party simply by showing my body to the world. And in doing so, I also get lots of sunlight, which is good for tanning, and also good for getting vitamin D. Vitamin D, right, right. skin converts it well, to and, D2.
4: And, and since you bring up your your commitment to tanning um i think i'm going to make a new uh campaign graphic for you with the uh, the slogan spike 2020 suns out guns out
2: yes correct that is absolutely good <laughs> so no i i but yes i absolutely pledge to be in the next libertarian uh, dad bod calendar which again is available at libertariandadbod.com and uh but yeah no stick around cuz we're going to talk about the uh the Mises and Radical rumor that you may, that you uh, referenced uh, in just a moment. Um, so yeah, so uh, a couple things happened over the week. Uh, one thing was we had a, um, over at Muddy Waters, we had a, a Twitter poll where we asked who uh, people's preferred candidate for uh, the vice presidential uh, nomination was. And uh, Twitter only allows four options. So we put up uh, myself, Larry Sharp, Ken Armstrong and John uh, McAfee, and uh, I did win that uh, vote. And uh, a couple other things that happened over uh, the previous week or so. Uh, a week uh, last, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, I was in the uh, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus um, uh, vice presidential forum with Larry Sharp and Ken Armstrong. And that went very well. We got to talk with each other. We, we agree on most things, but we were also able to kind of mix it up on our, uh, on our, our differences on policy and messaging and strategy and so forth. And it went very well. It went so well that after, so two things happened. I received, uh, on the same day, on Mother's Day, uh, the Radical Caucus, Libertarian Party Radical Caucus, uh, voted to endorse me. Uh, for the presidential nomination uh, or vice presidential nomination. I apologize, and uh, and then uh, also that same day, on the strength of my uh of my uh, performance in the VP forum and in speaking with the uh, with the members of the caucus, uh, they chose, they voted, I believe, unanimously. Uh, they voted to endorse me for the vice presidential nomination as well. Um, and so I am uniting the clans. I am uniting. Yeah.
4: Very- I, I I just want to point out for, for anybody that might be tuning in that's um, just, just now starting to dip their toes in the water of the Libertarian Party. Um, for any of you out there in viewer land who are unawares, um, having a candidate that has enough broad appeal to get both the, nom- the endorsement of the, Radical Caucus and the Mises Caucus is unheard of. That's like uh, um, I mean, that's like figuring out a way to get oil and water to mix.
2: Which I also pledge to do uh, once I am the nominee.
4: (laughs) I love you so much, Spike. Uh, Congratulations, and uh, you know, you've got my full support.
2: I appreciate it, and have a great evening, and uh, I will talk with you soon. Thanks, Matt. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
4: Okay, great. Well,
2: uh, we've had a couple people that have called, uh, thanks to the limitation of the system I'm using, uh, I can't call you back because I don't see who they're from, but until I answer them, but, uh, feel free to call back. Um, let's, okay. So I'll go through some of these, uh, questions. Uh, Robin Dominic asks, are you wearing pants? That is none of your business, but thank you. Um, okay, hold on. Let's see here. Uh... Seven eight one area code. Seven eight one area code. Who's calling? This is
0: uh, Stephen Messina calling from Greensboro, North Carolina.
2: Oh dear. Hello, uh, Mr. Messina. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing amazingly. Yeah, Some of the fans might uh, recognize me from 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 last week. To which I would like to, I would like to publicly ap- apologize. Thank you. For, I, I, it, it, it's just that I, I have su- I have such a want. For uh, the American people and people over the world to to see your face and not be obstructed by a microphone or really anything.
2: Right. Yes. Uh, So Steve Messina is referring to an incident last week on Muddied Zoom where he uh, said that it's a, quote, good look when your microphone makes up 75% of your frame, which is a bit of an exaggeration, but thank you anyway. Uh and yeah, now, now I would call so this is an is a,
0: epic takedown really.
2: Some have called it that. Uh I certainly wouldn't agree. Uh but the uh I didn't even care. Uh but um let so so that so you are calling to publicly apologize is that correct? Uh
0: th- that was, that was that was that was one. That was my my public apology, but I you know I heard you talking about the endorsements. Congratulations. Thank you. Um but you know I don't think that we can I don't think that we can underestimate um you know the the role that that may have played. <laughs> um it's kinda of getting some
2: buzz. Yeah, no, that so. definitely is why why that happened. So 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 you're positing that the reason that I received the uh unprecedented uh endorsement of both the radical and Mises caucus was on the strength of the, I guess, sympathy vote from you um physically harming me on my own show.
0: I mean, did it hurt your chances? I would say no. I don't think we can say that it, I don't think we can say that hurt anything.
2: Well, it definitely didn't hurt anything.
0: I did have a, I had a real question for you and okay. it is in the spirit of, and um, in, 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 I'll be honest with you. Uh, I would love for it to be a more prolonged conversation at some point, but you know, when you're not in campaign mode, but right. the, the the part of it that pertinent campaign mode and what you're talking about with the culture is I'm, I'm reading a book right now off a recommendation of a popular, uh, another podcast. I don't, I don't want to, you know, give them any shine on, on yours or anything like right, that, but, um, of but maybe a, a good amount of your audience might be familiar with it, but it was how I found freedom in an unfree world. And it's, uh, are you
2: familiar at all? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it.
0: Yeah. So, um, you, you know, I, it seems to be p- uh, popular in, in libertarian circles. I think it was uh, written by a former presidential, uh, candidate and it, he's kind of, from interpretation, he's taking the angle, you know, uh, uh, people so are hold, very hold, hold yeah, on sorry. one
2: second uh okay, th- 321 area code um i have to take steven's question cuz i can't put you on hold so please call back in a minute sorry go ahead
0: yeah or don't 312 area code You know what i mean maybe maybe take a break uh, three, three, but, two, one. but yeah i'm just kidding um so but uh but yeah you know basically it's just kind of kind of saying it's like look uh in this world you're really not going to change you're not going to move the needle in any significant way you're only one person uh, there's ways that you can kind of live free um, in your own way and it goes this some details and it, it at first it it kind of makes a lot of sense and it, it's somewhat freeing and kind of somewhat discouraging at the same time. you know you know it kind of stirs things up a little bit, but then, you know because it's it's basically saying the society is not going to change unless they're 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 ready for it, uh, you know collectively to change. I see too much. I, you know, I just kind of want your interpretation of it. You know, as someone who is um, part of a group, you know, and ha- the group has a name, which is you well, know, one thing says. You know, don't organize yourself. Don't have a name. Stay under the radar. I see. I see the needle moving culturally. You know, I, I see people's minds change. Um, people being kind of like woken up a little bit. And I'm interested to know your take on that, or maybe some stories that you can. You know, because I'm asking the question, you don't have to worry about being humble, but you know, just from talk you talking with people, you know, are there stories that you have that you changed their minds or woke people up because I mean you may like you're saying, you may as well say something if you have this platform, if it's not necessarily to win office, if it's you know long shot or whatever, you have this platform where you can talk to people, you may right. as well say something.
2: Might as well use it. Right, exactly. And th- and that's the thing. And, th- and thank you for that question. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, ultimately, as libertarians, when we're running for office, we know the odds against us. So we, we do run to win. But we also run with the understanding that statistically, we have our odds shaped up for us. And it, it's it, it can be often very difficult for us to win. Um, and so because of that, uh, we always have to be looking towards a goal of, at the very least, sharing the message. Like, like Stephen said, if you're up there, and you have a chance to say something. Go ahead and, t- and say it. So I-, I can give two examples, um, which I give often. Um, and in fact, Stephen, you were actually at one of these examples. Well, um, oh, that's not. So, so uh, two two things are, that I did um, was. Uh, uh, a, uh, a door knocking tour that we did in a housing project and also a, a campus tour that we did in a, a college campus on UNC Greensboro. Uh, in both situations, we were going into areas that were uh, that are often written off by libertarians because in the housing projects, the people overwhelmingly vote Democrat. Um, they are living on you know public property and many of them are entirely or mostly dependent on the state. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people believe it would stand a reason that they don't want to hear what we have to say, because we're talking about, you know, basically uh, eliminating the state's involvement in our, in our lives, uh, dismantling, uh, the state's, uh, uh, intrusion upon our life. Um, uh, the other group with, with the college students, we were going to a liberal arts college, which was overwhelmingly left-wing. Um, and so, uh, and you know, a lot of Bernie bros and Bernie Bra- what, what, Bernie girls, whatever, Bernie people, a lot of Bernie people of various uh, genders. And uh, and a lot of, uh, I think when we were there, Liz Warren was still in the race, so a lot of Liz Warren supporters, not a lot of ri- libertarians, not even any Republicans. Just, so two very groups, uh, two groups of people that are often regarded as unreachable because they are, you know, uh, many people say very statist. In going into those two groups, Uh, the first thing that I did when going in there was really listening to what they had to say Uh, and what I heard overwhelmingly from people in the housing projects uh, was that they were scared of the police. They were trying to, they all had side hustles, they all had jobs that they did, careers that they had, almost all of them, even people in their 70s were doing things on the side. They were having to do them illegally because they couldn't uh, afford the licensing and, and, and occupational licensing requirements and the schooling requirements and everything else to do things like braid hair or you know fix someone's sink or you know mow someone's lawn or you know these these things that you have to pay the state hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars and possibly even go to school for many years for to be able to do basic everyday things for a small fee and so instead they just did them illegally some of them did them in exchange for each other's services um when the police came through they would call each other uh they had these sort of like mesh defense networks where when uh you know they'd see a, a, a cop come through or even someone suspicious like us they would call around everyone else there to let them alert them to the fact that you know people were there that weren't really a part of the neighborhood and uh or or the police, so that if anyone was doing anything, you know, like mowing lawns without a license, uh, they could stop doing it, so they wouldn't get in trouble. And so their whole thing was, we just want to be able to try to get ahead and 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 get off of welfare and get out of this system. Uh, and, and stop being handed crumbs that have been taken from us uh, without the police, you know, breathing down our, our, our necks. And so talking with them, I talked a lot about occupational licensing. I talked about the war on drugs. I talked about the history behind why they were in the situation they were and how libertarian solutions would, would eventually get them out of that situation by simply freeing them to be able to do the things that they that they are good at to be able to, to get out of it. And it was incredibly, every time we went out, we signed up dozens of people to the uh, state and local party there in uh, Wilmington. North Carolina. Uh, we we got tons of people's contact information. We got people that signed up our, our ballot access petitions, and we changed the conversation in that neighborhood. People who had never heard of libertarianism, even though they were largely living as libertarians, uh, were, were awakened to that. And we switched a lot of those people over. Um, same thing same thing that happened in, uh, in the college campuses. We'd hear what they had to say, and what we were hearing overwhelmingly was that their biggest concerns were student debt and would they be able to find a job when they got out of college? And so, uh, in talking with them after you know hearing over and over again what their concerns were, that overwhelmingly they were worried about student debt, being able to get a good job when they got out of college, so that they could pay off their student debt, um, I started asking. And of course, with them, I would ask, you know, what do you think of government? And they largely said, you know, we don't like when government does this. We don't like when government does that. We don't like when government is, you know, abusive and things like that. But, uh, you know, overall government's a good thing and it's necessary and we need it. and We need more of it. We need it to be more involved in certain aspects of our life, like education, like healthcare, and so forth. And so I said, okay, cool. And I would ask them, what are you, uh, you know, what are you majoring in? And they would tell me and I'd say, oh, that's great. Why are you majoring in that? Almost all of them said the same thing. I'm majoring in this in order to be able to get into my uh, preferred uh, you know, scope of work, my preferred field of, of work i say, that sounds great. Let me ask you this. What if instead of going to school for four to eight years and spending tens or running up tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to go to work, what if you could just start working in some kind of internship or apprenticeship program where uh, you would learn how to do what you want to do directly under the people who are already doing it professionally? And instead of spending, you know, uh, years And, and, and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to do that, you did the work either for free or a small stipend to pay for your, you know, cost of living or whatever, but you, but you would probably be able to end up doing it within a year or two, or maybe, you know, maybe two or three years, depending on what it is you're doing, you get to it much sooner, and you wouldn't have a mountain of debt behind you once you started. And they all said, that's great. They said, that would be fantastic if I could just do an apprenticeship until, you know, the people in that, in, that, in that line of work determined I had reached a level of mastery to be able to do it professionally, but I can't do that. Then I'd say, well, why not? And they'd say, well, because I got to get my, my, you know, I got to get my college degree. And I'd say, okay, but why? And they'd say, well, because then I got I to get my license. And if I, you know, if I can't get a college degree, I, if I don't have that d- d- degree or that diploma, I can't get my license. And I'd say, but Why? And they'd say, well, because, you know, the government says, and then they'd figure it out. That's why they're in the situation they are, because some arbitrarily centrally planned rule or regulation said that in order to be able to do this particular thing, you had to get a license. And in order to get that license, you had to go to college and spend all this time to do it. And the the, the reality that government had made that mandatory, made it so that those schools could charge you whatever they wanted because you have to have it and even worse they injected themselves further into it through subsidies and grants and so forth driving up the cost even more because they're removing the consumer of that service which is education with the uh payer of that service which is the government many times and by you know it nationalizing the uh by nationalizing student loans now you can't go bankrupt and even if you go bankrupt you still have to pay that student loan back like it was was a tax, so you're screwed. You run up that student loan like you were told to do your whole life, and now you're screwed. How are you going to pay it off? And so they then saw what the problem was. And again, we signed many people up to our state and 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 the campus affiliate that we were growing, and we again, change the conversation in what is usually a very statist-friendly environment. I've continued doing that even after these lockdowns where we can't you know, actually get in touch with large groups of people in person. I've continued doing uh, uh, Zoom calls with uh, Emerson College, with uh, NYU. I have one coming up with Georgetown University, where we are talking with entire departments of these schools Hundreds of of students and faculty, and sharing the libertarian message with them. So I understand the the uh, inclination to believe that things are hopeless, that people don't want to hear our solutions, that people you know are are just too married to statism and to you know being uh, you know being uh, safe or secure rather than free uh, to to be for us to be able to do any good. And I certainly encourage people to find like-minded people so that we can protect ourselves and try to, you know, uh, engage in, you know, what they call agorism or counter economics as much as possible. But I disagree. My interaction with the public has shown me that largely a large number of them, not all of them, but a large number of them are open to hearing our message. And whether or not politics, electoral politics, is an effective way to do this or not, in order to do anything that we want to do in sh- in, in spreading the cultural message and in becoming more free, we need as many people as possible involved. In it. And I will continue to do that as the nominee or not. So I hope that answered your question.
0: It really did. If I just may, if I just may say one thing in closing, and you can hang up on me if, if, if immediately, if not sooner. But everything that you said made so much sense in the way that the way that I look at it is like whether it's someone whether it's someone like that you're talking about who is uh, up their eyes in student debt and doesn't really know why or doesn't understand, you know, the concept of their loans being guaranteed and, you know, and then the whole thing, whether it's them or whether it's someone like me who is watching, like, all of their worst nightmares manifest themselves into reality uh, in terms of uh, progressive, you know, rapidly expanding tyranny or somebody else who is just kind of overall confused at what is going on Mm -hmm. and doesn't really... No, but like you said, on some kind of visceral um, level kind of feels that something isn't right in a in in a year, no less, where there is, uh, you know, you have presumably Donald Trump and Joe Biden um, <laughs> as, as your presidential nominees for, right. for Republican and Democrat. Right. It seems like such an opportunity, um, you know, to say something
5: yeah, like
0: what what a waste it would be to not say what we have to say and for me i don't know what's going to happen with anything else but for me in terms of uh, the vice presidential um nominee i'm very happy that you got endorsed and i think you would be a great person to say it thank and you me.
2: i appreciate that i'm going to hang up on you now thank you so much bye bye well thank you Stephen. and uh i now have two voicemails here uh and i'm going to do a very brave thing and play them having not listened to them already so we will see together how this goes. An unexpected error has occurred. Oh, but it's reading it out. So this voicemail said, Spike, it's Jim Ray- Oh, hey, Jim. It's Jim Ray. I just wanted to call to gloat over the Mises and Radical Caucuses because I endorsed you first. Anyway, talk to you later. Uh, so thank you, Jim. Yes, Jim Ray did endorse me prior to both the radical and Mises caucuses by like a good solid day, I believe. So let's get through some of these questions on the screen. Shannon Kurtz asked, would you support California secession? I support, uh, I support the individual, the eventual individualization of the concept of, of power and autonomy, meaning that my ideal world is seven and a half billion autonomous individuals choosing to freely associate and disassociate as they wish with no coercion uh, or, 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 or violence or threats of violence over them. And people simply choosing whom they wish to associate with and who they wish to find voluntary solutions with to the problems that we all face. Um, so if that involves you know states breaking up uh, or cities breaking up from, you know, larger unions, then I think that that's what, uh you know, that that may be a step to it. If it requires us staying uh, unified under one union and someone at the top, you know, dismantling a lot of the regula- regulatory burdens that are making us less free and making us have to be reliant on the state. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with a, a top down approach. And I think I think however we get to freedom is going to potentially be many different things. So, uh my short answer is if the people of California decide they want to form their their own, you know, break away from the union, then I think I more than likely without knowing, you know, as much about the specific details as to why, uh all things being equal, I would say yes. I mean, obviously we had situations where uh, you know, states broke from the union because they wanted to continue to be able to own an entire race of people, and that was their stated largely their stated reason for doing so that obviously is not a good thing and uh, that was an uh, incident of people you know seceding for the purpose of being able to continue enslaving again an entire race of people and treating them as though they weren't actually people but were instead cattle uh, even though they still wanted them counted on the census uh, so that they'd have more power but um so i mean again all things being equal i support uh, you know people breaking down closer to individual autonomy, but I I can't say I I would support any secession movement because it would depend entirely on what their their purpose is. Um, Let's see here. A lot of different, a lot of very supportive messages. Thank you very much. Just looking for questions. Here... Stephen Messina says, even if Murray Rothbard were president tomorrow, it wouldn't mean anything if the culture isn't changed. Exactly. Um, Oh, Seth Thomas has asked me about uh, the LNC drama. And honestly, or Seth Thomas Benton has asked uh, about my take on the LNC drama. Uh, That depends on which one you're talking about. Because there's a lot of drama in the LNC right now. I think that... All things considered, I don't. I don't know how feasible it would be for a myriad of reasons to have an in-person convention, and I say that as someone who would prefer an in-person convention if at all possible. I don't know how feasible that is. I also don't know how feasible this online. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see just how how uh, seamlessly this uh, online. Uh, presidential nomination and vice presidential nomination is going to go. I know there are a lot of concerns about uh, transparency and, and, you know, um, uh, you know, everything being on the up and up and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and I know there's some other LNC drama with people, doing some whistleblowing about some uh, supposed shenanigans going on at the, in the, uh, in the party. I, I, I don't want to speak on that until there's more actual proof of it. Uh, I leave it up to the people who are doing the whistleblowing to say it. And you can decide if you uh, believe what they're saying or not. And um, you know, we'll see how it goes from that. Uh, Derek Perkins says, Hey Spike, I may be a libertarian socialist, but I respect you. Thanks Derek. I appreciate that. Sanj Moheep says, Spike, do you have kids? Can you have a dad bod without kids? Is this a scandal in the making? Listen, dad bod is a relative term. And I think any reasonable person who looks at this, this hunk of male beauty, of absolute virile, primal... I guess virility for lack of a better word, just primal energy and, 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 and presence, uh, I think could easily describe, I think, I think the term dad bod describes that perf- perfectly and only in positive ways. Um, let's see what else is here. Zachary Taylor asks, where is the couch? Oh, the auction you'll have to call Ashanti. Um, um, DJLC Studio asks what kind of voting, and I'm not sure what you mean what kind of voting. Um and then he asked census year. And I'm not sure what that question is. So if you if you uh um if you want to expound upon what that means, I'd be happy to hear it. Um A lot of questions here. I'm just looking for a lot of comments here. Just looking for questions. Um, Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds says, Spike, have you considered debating Mike Pence? Well, that is ultimately the goal, Chris. Uh, if I am the nominee, we're going to push for getting at least 15% of the, of the uh, support in at least, I believe it's two opinion polls. Uh, nationally recognized opinion polls, which will qualify us to be on the debate stage. And I will be debating Mike Pence and probably Kamala Harris, maybe Stacey Abrams or Amy Klobuchar or Gretchen Whitmer. There's a few people there I might be debating. Uh, I not only have considered it, I relish the opportunity um, as much as I can. Uh, Drew Lewis asks, how will you destroy the Patriot Act and ensure nothing like it can occur again? Now, obviously, as vice president, that's an excellent question. Obviously, as vice president, uh, I can only advise the president uh, unless something happens to the president and then I become the president. Other than that, it's largely a bully pulpit role and, uh, you know, being the president of the Senate, presiding over the over the Senate. So I would I would say um, but I can say in terms of what I would promote and what I would advise the president on. Uh, I believe, you know, the beauty of the beauty of a lot of these acts that have been passed in recent years have been that a lot of authority was simply handed to the executive by the legislature. They simply just palmed off their their. Uh, uh legislative responsibilities by cre- by making them into regulatory responsibilities so they will say the ch- the secretary of the whatever they've created in this case homeland security and various other positions that they've created will have the authority to determine x y and z basically saying all future legislative concerns on this specific issue will be decided by the people that we put in charge of doing that who are in the executive branch so a, a tremendous amount of of power and 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 Latitude has been, unfortunately, put into the executive branch. The silver lining to that is that if a libertarian uh, can get into office, into the president, into the White House, then they can undo a lot of that stuff by simply deeming it unnecessary or deeming it no longer needed. Um, so a lot of the Patriot Act uh, could be undone simply through executive orders and, and, and deregulation at the at the Department of Homeland Security level. Um there, it's been argued that we could simply the the president could simply fire everyone in DHS and refuse to 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 appoint anyone, uh, or to um to uh, nominate uh, anyone for appointment by the Senate. Um, so there's a lot of things that could be done there in terms of ensuring nothing like it can ever occur again. Occur again. That that is where the cultural level happens. We have to show the public why things like the Patriot Act, why things like the Cares Act, why things like Obamacare and Medicare Part D and and all of these things that were whatever good or bad intentions they have, what they have done have been to disrupt the market and create uh, inequities in the market by centrally planning things and by putting a bunch of cronies and bureaucrats who represent the wealthiest people among us to determine, uh you know how best to handle this um and so perfect example patriot act is it was a, a giant sop to the uh the defense and surveillance industries and so and the and you know to the police The police to prison industrial complex and and the military industrial complex and all of that fed into this constant boondoggle of spending trillions of dollars every year on security theater. And so, you know, using the bully pulpit to explain that as we dismantle it, explaining how we were not made more safe by it, we were just made less free by it and how removing it makes us both safer and freer, um, will be the, the, what we can do. Um, let's see here. Um, Uh, oh, Kenneth Blevins says, if for some uh, presidential candidate, Kenneth Blevins uh, says, if for some stretch of insanity, I don't become POTUS, do you feel a run for Senate or for governor would make a bigger impact for the LP? I think you should run for whatever you want to. I think that you're a fantastic person and whatever position you feel you are best suited for, uh, I think you, you'll, you you'll, you know, make some incredible waves in that. Um, I certainly can't support you for POTUS because I'm, you know, Vermin Supreme's running mate. Uh, but if you run for anything that isn't POTUS or Vice POTUS, I'd be happy to support you in uh, in anything that you do. Um, So yeah, so those are the questions that I have right now. And, oh, I do have one more. Was that the same voicemail? Okay, so we're up. Why can't I hear that? That's interesting. So it's, supposed to be playing a voicemail, but I can't hear it. So, sorry, 740 area code. I don't know why it's not, why I can't hear what your question is, but you are welcome to call back. Uh, Again, the number, if anyone wants to call, is uh, 813-644-2722. We are definitely, we're coming on to the Uh, To the one hour mark, so we'll probably be wrapping things up shortly anyway, but feel free to call in. Oh, we got some more questions. Um, uh, A question from Addy Leader Zavos. I hope I said your name right. Uh, Says, hi, Spike, you talked a little about Zoom meetings with different college audiences. As the nominee, what other strategies would you use or recommend that the party use to communicate the ideas of liberty to a broad audience while door to door canvassing and in-person conversations aren't really able to happen? That's an excellent idea. The short answer to that is leverage other forms of media. Get as much attention as you can online. Solid, effective Uh, at times dynamic and even bombastic messaging to affect the greater culture. Uh, One thing that we do a lot on our social media, look for what's trending and see if 512 area code, if you can just bear with me, I'm finishing up a question that was asked, and then I will be happy to take yours. If you can just hold on for one moment. Um, So one thing we've done on social media, we look for things that are trending. And if there is a way for us to Thread that into our overall overarching libertarian narrative. We do so, and we've gotten a tremendous amount of of, uh, of followers through that. We've more than tripled our social media since we started the campaign, and that was already a, a very uh, large and 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 broad social media reach uh, even before we started campaigning. Um, so that's that is one way to really do it. Engage wherever you can. Find people outside. Of uh, political circles so that you can get in front of people that aren't even thinking politics right now. They're just so disgusted by what's going on because everyone is acutely aware of what's going on right now. And so, you know, college events, calling into other people's uh, Programs or 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 reaching out to other you know podcasts and shows that may or may not be politically related to get your message out there Uh, you know just the the short answer is get in touch get in front of as many people as you possibly can so I hope that answers your question five one two area code who am I speaking with
6: hello So I
4: hope that answers your question five one two area code who am I speaking
6: with Donovan Spencer
2: Hi Donovan, how are you doing? I'm good. That's great. Do you mind muting uh my 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 show on your side so we're not hearing ourselves again? So, how um Donovan, what uh wh- how how can I help you? What's your what's your question?
7: Hello? Sorry, am I there? There?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're here now.
7: Hello. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm here. Okay. So what what's your, what's your so how can do you I help? Think you think that Justin
6: Amash is? Do you think that Justin Amash is more valuable to the Libertarian Party as a sitting, um, member of Congress or as a presidential candidate?
2: Thank you. That's a good question. So, especially in the way that he entered, I believe he has more value to us as a sitting congressman. I think if he had entered the race months or even a year ago and built up his, you know, built up something as as demonstrating that he's going to, you know, represent our party as the presidential nominee, uh, I think that the story might be a little bit different. um, But I think him as a sitting representative right now, uh, with you know six months to go and and, and a matter of a, a, you know a couple weeks before the nomination, when he announced uh, that he was running, I think he actually and, and again I I don't say this without any bias. I say this as someone who uh, has you know someone who would rather be the the presidential uh, candidate than him uh, that I'd rather have as the as our candidate than, than as our nominee than him. I do believe that having someone sitting as a sitting congressman uh, would be far more powerful because statistically. Uh, He is far more likely to win re-election to his seat as an incumbent than he is to win a presidential uh, contest uh, as a third party, uh, a member of a third party. And so I think it would be incredibly powerful to have him messaging in support of our nominee as a sitting congressman, hopefully. Uh, doubling down on being able to get reelected as a sitting congressman and then whether or not we win at the presidential level or in any other election we still have a sitting congressman who is you know promoting libertarian ideas as a libertarian party nominee uh, or or libertarian party candidate libertarian party member and congressman uh for our party and our movement so i hope that answers your question yeah okay thank you so much for your time did you have another question Um, no, not really. Okay, all right, well, thank you for your time. Have a good night. Thank you. And let's see here. Um, uh, Zachariah Fournier asks, uh, large political factions seem to counter to libertarian ideals. How do you see a unified libertarian rise in politics without sacrificing parts of the platform, especially related to individual liberty and self-determination? That is an excellent question. That is the issue that we face. We have a a large, and sometimes in previous election cycles, a prevailing school of thought, which is that in order to reach the statist masses, we need to sacrifice, at times, some of the most important parts of our platform the idea of self-ownership the idea of uh 269 area code uh please bear with me i'm finishing up answering a question uh that was in the comments so uh if you don't mind holding Um, so, you know, we are told that uh, we often have to sacrifice the most important parts of our platform, the idea of self-own, not just our platform, but our philosophy, the ideas of self-ownership and non-aggression and voluntary solutions and that instead we should be promoting ourselves as kind of this, you know, slight, you know, somewhat better option than the, you know, than the Republicans and Democrats, but nothing too extreme because that'll scare people. Well, that runs counter to every major political revolution and reform movement that has happened in this country or any other where they presented a very bold and very divergent school of thought of how things should happen they presented the current status quo as untenable and unacceptable and themselves as the only viable way to make the changes needed and they did it very boldly dare I say very radically and and when they won they were able to negotiate from a position of strength because they had changed the conversation when I go to college campuses and zoom calls with college courses when i was doing door knocking and housing projects when i was going to state conventions libertarian conventions when i was going to competing republican and democrat campaign events to convert their followers to our side which was incredibly successful what i saw time and time again was people who their republicans and democrats because those are the only options they have, and they've been told their whole lives that's that you're either a left-winger or a right-winger, you're either a Republican or a Democrat, or you might be an independent or a moderate, but that you know, they, they've been given a very small window of allowable opinion and told that's it. That's the entire spectrum. So when someone comes in and says no... This is all garbage. These people are all telling you the same nonsense. Here's a real alternative. They're very receptive to it because, again, we all innately and intuitively understand that something is wrong. This is not working. And so i've been in, you know I don't think there's anything magical about me, and yet I've been able to convert hundreds of people at a time in, in some cases and dozens of people at a time in some cases over to libertarianism in these college and events and housing project walkthroughs and you know door knocking campaigns and uh you know going to competing campaign events and all, all of these other things. I don't believe that there's anything, you know, magical about me. I think it's just the fact that I have, you know, gone and unapologetically uh, presented our beliefs in in a, in an empathetic way that addresses the concerns they have noted. And I think that we not only can we see a a growing and unified uh, libertarian rise in politics without sacrificing parts of our platform? We have to do it by not sacrificing parts of the platform. Sacrificing parts of the platform is how we continue to say irrelevant and and an unnecessary third option that no one even cares about. In order to do, to become more unified and to grow something, grow the libertarian movement within the greater body, body politic, we have to be principle we have to be unapologetic about we, what we believe we have to present a bold radical dynamic divergence from what is currently happening so i hope that answered your question uh 269 area code uh who am i speaking with
6: uh hello this is logan fleckenstein
2: hi logan um, how
6: are you doing i'm not, i'm i'm doing all right man just doing all right uh got to uh talk with Berman a little bit via live stream earlier with one of his live streams and oh cool so it was it was fun and i'm really you guys are growing on me i gotta say i'm
2: glad um, to hear it man
6: I'll, I, I'll, I'll i'll at first i was a bit more just like ah, i just gotta do homage he's the obvious choice right and now i'm like ah, oh, he's not so obvious <laughs> and not to diss him like i respect him i live in michigan you know like he lives um in his district like an hour north of mine Right. i've known him i've Know him via Facebook a little bit over the years, and you know him and I wish each other happy birthday. You know he's a friendly, nice dude. Like, he's a legit, he's a good guy. Like. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. And that's the thing. Like I think personally, per my personal opinion, most of the candidates running for the VP and the presidential, and probably even chair, are decent folks. Of course, in my yes. Personal opinion. Yeah, I
2: believe. Yeah. I agree.
6: I agree. Although, I, although I do got I do. I don't want to be like that guy and try to bring up drama, but there is one candy. I do feel like we all kind of have to be like, come on, dude. And that's and my personal, and you can disagree. If you disagree, I'm interested in understanding your perspective, but Jacob Hornberger, like, what do you think of him?
2: Okay. Well, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking it. Um, So, I first want to say obviously I am vermin supreme's running mate and I have detailed many times and would be happy to do so you know at any moment why I believe vermin is a unique opportunity for us for the libertarian party especially in this election cycle to take I agree the knowledge yeah. of our party and our movement to a, a totally different level of, of public knowledge and understanding I mean and, and in addition to him being just an absolutely terrific human being uh, I, I i have I have grown to I've always been a big fan of his and now I I am a, a believer in him of as just a, a fantastic human being who who really has a message of love and liberty to spread to the public. I do
1: feel. Also, I, I, so,
6: sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Just one thing. I think a big thing that most people don't realize about him. Mm-hmm. Very wise man. Yes. He's a very wise dude. Like yes. once he takes off the boo and he's not doing his spiel. Yep. And he's just being him. Just
2: being himself. Yep.
6: He's a wise dude. Like kind of like philosopher type king wise in my opinion he is
2: yes they and, and that is absolutely correct he is an incredibly smart guy he loves doing his shtick it gets people's attention and that's the beauty of it he figured out that he can be he can do this shtick to you know lower people's cognitive defenses and get them to pay attention to him and have them not you know be ready to be bombarded with some kind of political message and instead just you know hear what he has to say and then once he has their attention, he's able to, you know, take the the boot off, both figuratively and literally, and hit them with yeah. just an incredibly uh, articulate, principled message of libertarianism. I, I, and it's why he is my top pick. To answer your question yeah. regarding... Yeah. to,
6: yeah. to yeah. Answer- oh, oh, yeah. Because well, my mind is more at negative direction. It's like, because I feel like it's kind of a, I don't know, personally, I don't get why he's so popular. I don't get it.
2: Are, are we talking about Jacob Hornberger?
6: Yeah. Like, okay. I don't
2: get it, well but- I, let me get let me give you my thoughts about Jacob Hornberger. So again, obviously uh, Vermin Supreme is my is my top pick. I believe that he should be our next president. He should be our next presidential nominee. I will say this. I have done events with Jacob Hornberger uh, Door knocking events side by side with him, uh, where we he was campaigning for his president presidential campaign, I was campaigning for my v- vice presidential and Verman's presidential campaign. I've met him at yeah. multiple uh, conventions and things like that. I personally do believe that Jacob Hornberger is the real deal. He is a, a an incredibly principled libertarian. Uh, I have seen him firsthand be able to talk to various uh, communities and 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 people to be able to spread the libertarian message. I I, I will say I I, I personally. You know, I haven't known him very long. I've known him for less than a year, really just during the life of this, this campaign. But all of my interactions with him have been very positive, and I have seen him to be a very uh, uh, articulate and principled um, uh, presidential candidate. All of my concerns related to Jacob have been more about ability to— spread the message far and wide compared to, for example, Vermin. But in terms of him as an individual, I, 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 like I said, all of my personal interactions with him and seeing him firsthand, I seem to kind of think he's the, I, I do tend to believe that he's the real deal. Um, I know there's stuff in the past with him, with Harry Brown and uh, things with the Libertarian Party of Virginia. I honestly have been too busy campaigning to really delve into what those, you know, who's right on those subjects. I've heard a lot of uh, both, Criticisms of him on those and defenses of him on those from people that I otherwise, you know, that I, that I respect their opinion on both sides of that. So I, I kind of have chalked that up to, um, I'm less concerned with what happened 20 years ago with what he's doing now. Um, Jacob's in an interesting position right now where, you know, at least by all appearances, the entrance of Justin Amash potentially takes from a lot of his support base. And so oh, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you yeah, know, same and, with Joe. Yeah. Same what? with Joe. Yeah. And same I with mean, Joe.
6: You, yeah. Oh, I've been like, this is the big thing I've been paying attention to because of the Corona and I'm a poli-sci major guy. Right. So like, I've been paying attention to all this political science stuff. And plus I ran for office until I in 16 for state rep in Michigan. Okay. Um, And which I actually, that was a very blue district. Sorry about that noise. Um, no problem. very blue district. Um, and, but I was managed to get like, I think it's like right, a little bit of not a little bit above a uh, 5% or so. Oh wow. And yeah. And there's also, I also have a crazy backstory if you want to get into it. It's fun and interesting. But the point being like, um, like I get like, this one thing I, that you appeals for me appeals about with you and vermin is that even though you guys don't try to go, like, the left direction as much, although Vermin, I feel, is a bit more of a lefty than he people may realize. Um, he's at least a mutualist, I mm-hmm. feel. It's probably a better term to describe him that I don't hurt, hear people use for him, but I think yeah, it might be yeah. accurate.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a social market anarchist, so he's not, like, a communist. He's, he's, a, yeah. he is a, he's an anarchist. He's a, a market anarchist is the best way to put it.
6: Yeah. I think, which is funny, because recently, ideologically, I've come to that team. Yeah, I've been kind of more the like ANCAP, cap right. like right-leaning an- uh, anarchist for since Ron Paul converted me back in 2012. Like because I was a homeless, you know, sad Republican. Politically,
2: guy. yeah, sad political. Yeah, we, we've all been, we or many of us have been, including myself, have been the the political orphan, the angry Republicans. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
6: And then you hear just, just this beautiful, just old Texan man just talking about liberty. Right. And I don't, Which is funny, because in 2008, I did find him just to be, like, a little too, like, idealistic. And I'm like, he's not pragmatic. and yeah, like yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't quite liberty enough back then. But I think right. something just with my life, those four years, you know, by the time 2012, I was by that point in university. So it's kind of like, I don't know, different time, things right. different.
2: Right, absolutely. So yeah, no, so I like I said, I, I, I personally vouch for everything I have seen from Jacob Hornberger. Um and I think that I and I, I get some of the you know, I think in the last debate Jacob felt the need to draw a sharp contrast between um between himself uh, and Justin Amash, and I guess just the, pra- the, uh, the I guess the pragmatist argument in general, and I understand that because I, I try to do the same. Um, I think some saw it come off as maybe too argumentative. Um but I, I, I will say, I, like I said, I, I, I certainly I believe for many reasons that Vermont Supreme is our is our is our best pick for, for a president and I, I I've said so from the beginning and I'll say so until you know until the delegates decide who they who they want to choose. Um but I, I will say I, I think I think Jacob is a is a good dude and a solid libertarian. Um, you know, and and I, I think that's uh, obviously uh, have to be politic about my answers now. Now that I'm actually a, a you know running for elected office, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. but but I, but I will say no, I th- I think he's a solid guy. I, I've I've seen him firsthand. I think he's serious about what he wants to do. I think he's sincere about it. And again, I can't vouch for past stuff because I haven't looked enough into it. I also. I, you know, the longer something goes on, I, I tend to look more at what they're doing now. So I, I, I leave it up to every individual to look into those things and decide what they think. Because as I said, some have said he was 100% in the right, some have said he was 100% in the wrong, some have said somewhere in between. And, and I've, I've been too busy doing delegate service and spreading the libertarian message to really look into what happened back in, you know, 99 or 2000. So I hope that uh, I hope that answers your question.
6: I, I, it does. I just want to add one more detail before I uh, before I hang up or sure. you hang up on me. I'm not going to um, hang up on is you. Is that? <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just trying to be courteous. But um, no, it's that with with uh, with Hornberger that he, fairly recently, I think even as of up to a month ago, maybe even sooner, he's been doing like this video series on his YouTube channel, just going after Amash, just on this, all this random just and then just it's just like him ranting about him. He's been doing it seemingly for a while, just, just to let people know. Like, so like, I mean, for me, my big worry then it would be kind of a unity issue. Because like, right now, Spike, you're being very good about your answer. You're being a unifying guy, which I respect and which is why you're like one of my top dudes. I mean, it's like you and Larry Sharp, man, at this point. Which is impressive because I've been in love with Larry Sharp forever. Well, but thank you. you and, Larry, and, and,
2: and by the way, I've been in, in love with Larry forever too. So this is definitely not a I think Larry Sharp is bad or, or you know anything like that. But I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh,
6: well, you, you've earned it, man. Because um, you're you're doing you're doing a good job. You and have you. both been doing a really good job, and I mean it's like in my personal opinion because I am a radical too, and like I, when I see other radicals in my opinion going out there and just uh, their, their messaging, and I think some of the messaging and the ways they're doing things is just, just not appealing to anyone. It's like, what are you doing? But when I see what you and Vermin are doing, it gives me hope.
2: Thank you. That that, that means have, a lot to me. Thank you.
6: That, that we can have, like, pragmatic, radical people. And I I don't mean pragmatic in that dirty way. No, actual I
2: pragmatism. Can, and I, and I say this a yeah. lot. It's not... it's Something that doesn't work ever shouldn't be called pragmatism. Um, I think exactly. real pragmatism, real incrementalism is the idea that in order for us to affect change, we have to actually affect the culture and we have to actually get elected to positions of power and influence so that we can make our ideas spread and and actually affect things. And when I say make our ideas spread, we should get into positions of in government so that we can actually start making policy decisions. That's when the incremental change could happen. Up until we actually Boom, exactly. are in those positions, we have to present our entire message of what our actual goals are so that we can start incrementally working towards that by affecting the culture and by getting elected to those positions. So I, I do appreciate that.
6: Yeah, Exactly. So that's what I did for my campaign. Like I would even in questionnaires and stuff and like I would answer very radically and honestly, but I'd also be like, well, listen, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to press the button and end it all tomorrow. That's not my deal. Let's work together. Let's you know, I get it. It's like a domino thing. You know, if you pull out the you take down the wrong domino at the wrong time, but it all collapses down horribly. Next thing you know it, you got a power vacuum and then next thing you know it, you got like fascists taking over or commies taking over. And not the good commies, like the really, really bad commies. Right. Like the sound commies.
2: Right, right, right. No, I understand the tankies. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. Yeah, we have to. We have to be empathetic in our messaging. We have to. We have to affect the culture by having people see that we have the best ideas, and do so in a way that also demonstrates that we actually care about them and, and care about their future and are doing this for their future. So I do appreciate your call, and uh, and I, I thank you. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. All right. So we got some more. Thank you all for your calls. You're welcome to keep calling in. Um. Um, Drew Lewis says the Second Amendment of course was allowed uh, was to allow us to have equal force to fight back if a government becomes tyrannical. with your stance on legalization of recreational plutonium, does this include use for personal atomic arms to equalize power? This is one of the most fun things to talk about when we talk about weapons because when if we take the logical conclusion that government, should not have any weapon that the people themselves cannot have. That takes us in a very interesting direction because nuclear weapons are a thing. They exist. So can we have them? Well, let's drill into that for a second. First of all, nuclear weapons are only something that someone would want if they wanted to kill, if they wanted to spend tremendous amounts of money to be able to have the ability to kill Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, or even tens of millions of people in one pop. In order to do that, you have to be both a sociopath and you have to be able to have tremendous amounts of money. Now, natural in just natural human existence, it is not possible for someone to be that murderous, to be able to attain a weapon like that without seizing power to attain that kind of power and money without also seizing power so once you remove the coercion the need and the demand for nuclear weapons in the first place drops precipitously the need for someone to have the ability to either kill a bunch of people or have that you know, deterrent ability to stop someone else who has one so that they won't try to kill you and a bunch of people because they know you'll be able to kill them and a bunch of people, that goes away for the most part. Now, in 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 light of that, in the in the absence of that, would someone who wants to spend hundreds of millions of dollars developing, storing, and keeping safe a nuclear weapon be able to do so? I guess so. But guess what? Nuclear weapons aren't just automatic weapons. Nuclear weapons also are radioactive. And depending on how they're stored, that radioactivity can seep out into other people's properties. Well, in a truly non-coercive society, in a voluntary society that is based on self-ownership and property rights, that seeping of radioactivity and, and toxic waste is an aggression against others and would have to be treated as such—a very serious aggression because this is, you know, radioactivity that can last for thousands or tens of thousands of years. So, in order, so the question is: Is someone who would be so remote and so wealthy uh, uh, to decide to have a nuclear weapon for no real good reason be able to have one? I, I guess so. But here's the real question: Who do you trust less? With weapons in general, but especially nuclear weapons. Some individual who wants them for some reason, or governments who have used them and threatened to use them. This is similar to the question about automatic weapons. Well, we can have automatic weapons. People will be killing each other. Well, okay. There are however many uh, thousands of Americans who legally own automatic weapons and who largely haven't killed anyone. Then we have the government. Who has automatic weapons legally and kills people every day? Who do you trust more? Similar to the question of, of the protesters with guns. We see protesters go out with guns. They don't harm anyone. They have the guns. They, you know, do their protesting. They yell, they hold their their placards, whether you agree with their protesting, what, what they're protesting or not, whatever. They go out, they protest, they go home, no one is hurt. At least not by the guns. The police are out there too. They have guns and They put people in cages and they arrest people and they tase people and they shoot people and they beat people. The question to me always goes, why should I trust a person or just an organization of people that are acting voluntarily more than an organization who has demonstrably harmed people anytime they possibly can for little to no reason? So that's how I would answer that. And... 209 area code who am i speaking with
7: hi my name is um katie
2: katie yes hi katie how can i help you
7: uh good um is this number for uh, the spike cohen uh, live stream
2: this is the number for spike cohen how are you doing
7: i'm doing fine yourself
2: i'm doing amazingly how can i help you
7: uh do you have any positions open for uh to call in yeah
2: i've, I've got a position open right now what's going on
7: I just want to say uh, hi to Spike. Hi.
2: It's great to meet you.
7: Oh, it is Spike. Hi, Spike. Pleasure me. meet you. I'm a libertarian socialist, and there are things we don't agree on, but I am voting for you and Berman in this election.
2: Well, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much for your time. Did you have a
4: question for and me? Was,
7: um, oh, that is, I I, I just said, sorry, I just had a brain fart. Um, okay. Who would you prefer? Rothbard or Mises?
2: Rothbard or Mises? Well, I mean, I guess if I had to ch- choose between one of those, I would probably go with Mises, just if only because he's the father of a lot of the ideas that Rothbard came up with. Um, I I really have never th- thought of one versus the other because there's so much overlap between the beliefs. But I guess I'd have to I'd have to pick Mises. But I, I really, like I said, I I haven't spent a tremendous amount of time thinking about that.
7: Good good answer. I've always preferred Mises over Rothbard.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I, I think Mises was definitely at times more um, uh, more nuanced than Rothbard may be. I, I I will say this, and this is true of any any thinker. Uh, Rothbard and Mises, and and really anyone. I mean, if you you come up with any philosopher, they're going to have statements that they made or decisions that they made. You know, we we joke about late Rothbard and some of his positions of of you know unleashing the police on people towards you know later on in life and things like that. And we don't agree with those things. And we can certainly we can look at people's beliefs as the totality of their beliefs and take both the good and bad take the good from it remember the bad from it and rather than try to you know either vilify or deify someone just look at the good and the bad of what they've said and and and, you know take the the parts that you agree without take the parts that you disagree with uh, you know and and put those aside and 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 recognize that we're all imperfect human beings who will do and say things that uh, aren't necessarily the best at all times so but I hope that answered your question
7: thank you okay oh, ask one more yeah sure okay roth is uh, Mises or spooner
2: oh man i'd probably have to go with spooner on that one i i came hey, I, here yeah i, I listen spooner is one of the people that you know reading his work and i i, I like a lot of what Mises wrote but man reading no Con- uh, uh no treason and even just reading some of the quotes from no treason before i read the whole thing that just hit me hard. That woke me right out of statism and really made me reexamine some stuff with just a couple paragraphs that kind of, uh, you know, Spooner pilled me into reading the rest of of No Treason. Uh, yeah, I would almost certainly have to go with Spooner uh, over that.
7: Uh, if I say something real quick about Spooner?
2: Sure, absolutely.
7: Okay, I, I have a disorder known as dissociative identity disorder. I uh, Basically, my psyche fractured when I was young and created other alternative personalities. Well, my main other alternative personalities married Max Sterner and Spooner together. He follows um, Spooner for uh, egoist reasons.
2: That's very interesting. Um, If if I, 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 I'm trying to remember now. One of them was influenced by the other. Is that correct?
7: I don't know how much. I don't know if they really influenced each other. They they were around the same time. Around the same time, yeah.
1: yeah.
7: Because Sterner was more of the left and post left, and Spooner was a little bit more leaning to the right.
1: Yeah,
2: although Spooner was also, I mean, he did uh, espouse some, you know, what we would now call, you know, libertarian socialist ideas or or, or market anarchist ideas. So he was kind of all over the place on that. Um, He certainly was every bit as uh, 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 irreverent towards some of the private institutions as he was towards, obviously, the public ones. But so anyway, I hope that I I hope I answered your questions.
7: Yes. Thank you so much. Hey, have a good run. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you.
2: Have a good night. So, um, let's see what's going on here. Um, sh- Jason Lyon, noted non-top fan, uh, Mr. America, the Bearded Truth host, and the Muddyed Zoom co-host, Jason Lyon of Muddy Waters Media, even though he's not a fan, uh, says, if Henry McMaster were to decide to run for POTUS under the LP banner, how would you welcome him to your ticket? I would welcome him. Uh, by giving my best Foghorn Leghorn impersonation and telling him to leave uh, and uh, I just, yeah I mean anyone who's watched my shows have definitely seen my opinion of him I don't have that picture up right now but if I did I'd have it up and I would be doing his whole you gotta I say you gotta gotta stay in your house I, I, I'm i not I don't have a good Foghorn Leghorn I really don't impersonate people well anyway um Steve Messina says, uh, you know, he believes that we maybe are not radicals, uh, at least not in an absolute sense, and and that makes the messaging easier. I, I agree. I mean, I, I tend to, I prefer to say that we are principled and honest and upfront and unapologetic about our beliefs. Uh, I think radical is a term that we have chosen to, you know, make our own, like how, you know, with the, like the term Yankee or something like that, we've, we've chosen to embrace it. Uh, but like I said, I, I believe we're the pragmatists. I believe that anyone who wants to get us a seat at the table by using the method that has worked in so many other successful political disruptive movements uh, is, in fact, a pragmatist. They they understand the reality of what it takes to affect the body, body politic, uh, generally speaking, the general public. So I, I consider myself a pragmatist. Um So yeah, so these are the questions I don't think. Um, Katie of the Nordic System says, Hey, Spike. Hey, Katie. Shane Hazel says, What's up? Hey, Shane Hazel, by the way. Two things about Shane. One, I was on his show uh, on, uh, it aired this Monday, two days ago on radical. So go look up radical with Shane Hazel. That's a really cool show. I had an appearance on there. Shane is also the libertarian nominee running for, uh, the U S Senate seat in Georgia. So be sure to check him out on, uh, on social media and go and support his campaign. He's a great guy. And, uh, He's doing some great stuff down there. Uh, former, uh, I believe, Marine. Uh, I know he was a serviceman. Uh, c- came out of it incredibly anti war and has been promoting a very, you know, a message of ending the wars, uh, ending uh, government intrusion in our daily lives, and just dismantling the beast. And uh, he's a real good guy. And I, I definitely like him. So be sure to check out my episode and be sure to check out everything Shane's doing. Um, yeah, so I think if I'm looking correctly, I believe I've got all the, the questions there. So if, where are we at? Yeah, we're almost at, we're coming up on just over an hour and a half. So we'll probably close it out now. So, um, unless any other calls or questions come in, I'll start to, uh, start to close things out. And, um, so yeah, so here's some things that are coming up. Uh, we have, um, we have many AMA, Vermin Supreme and I, Uh, part of the Vermin Supreme Spike Cohen ticket. We have many, many, many uh, AMA events and town hall events. If you are a delegate, you will more than likely be hearing from us either on Zoom or a phone call or both. Um, So be sure to look out for that. If you are a a, a delegate, a Libertarian Party delegate, and you would wish to speak with me without waiting to hear from me, you want to get ahead of the the line, uh, be sure to reach out to me on social media, uh, um, on Twitter, at Real Spike Cohen, uh, or on Facebook, at Literally Spike Cohen. You can actually use, I just found this out, uh, if you go on Facebook, uh, you could just go to facebook.com slash Literally Spike Cohen, or in the Facebook search bar, you can put at Literally Spike Cohen, and it will come up. Um, So yeah, so I would love to hear from you, and we can set up a phone call, I'd be happy to do that. And I will be on—I can't even count the number of events and debates and AMAs and things I will be on over the, the next week and a half. I will be here again on Wednesday. Be sure to turn in tune in next Tuesday to the muddy waters of freedom, where Matt Wright and I will parse through the week's events, and uh, it's going to largely be uh, a final push for our campaign for the Vermin Spike campaign. And then on Wednesday, uh, probably the same thing. And I believe I'm going to have a special guest. I can't tell you who it is yet, but be sure to tune in next week for that. And um, I hope to see you. If you are a, a delegate, again, I love you very much. And I'm not just saying that because I want you to vote for me. No, I'm saying that because I always loved you. It's always been you. I always knew it. And I'm finally proud enough and brave enough to say it but no i would love to hear from you i would love to um love to have your support and your vote and your endorsement and if there's anything i can do to achieve that please be sure to to reach out to me so i can do so um and yeah so that's yep that is just looking through the last thing that is all of the the comments that are coming through on my comment stream anyway Uh, if I did miss any questions, I will be happy to go through and answer them in the comments, uh, either later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, so if I did miss you, I, uh, promise to, uh, I promise to get you, uh, at some point, uh, get back to you at some point, but thanks again for tuning in and we will see you next week and God bless you.